Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bigger Insights Privacy and Security Podcast, where we'll help you live a more private and secure life. Let's talk about dumb phones. The constant stream of mobile security issues we see in the news is leading many to question whether they should just give up on smartphones altogether, but you still need a phone. So this begs the question, should you use a dumb phone for privacy and security reasons? The idea here being that dumb phones have a smaller attack surface, so they may provide you with better protections. Minimizing your attack surface is generally a good thing, but we're going to go into some detail in this episode about whether there's any validity to this idea. Also, by the way, we wrote a blog version of this episode on our website, biggerinsights.com, on July 29th, 2022. So go check that out if you're interested. There are some links in there about spying on phone calls and text messages and things like that, which you might be interested in. We see this in the movies and on TV. In Breaking Bad, Gustavo Fring concludes a shady phone call, then breaks his flip phone in half and throws it in the garbage. This makes for interesting TV, but it isn't necessarily a good idea in the real world. Alright, so before we crap on dumb phones too much, let's talk about some of the advantages that they offer. From a privacy standpoint, a dumb phone can be advantageous when used as a burner, although this is a very niche and expensive use case. In some parts of the world, including the United States, you can buy a phone and a SIM card without any kind of identity verification. If you pay for a burner phone and a prepaid SIM with cash, this won't immediately be tied to your identity, However, you can still lose your anonymity depending on how you use your phone. You may be identified as the owner of your dumb phone by location tracking, and anytime you make a phone call, you also run the risk of losing your anonymity by being identified with your voice print, which we'll go over in more detail later in this episode. However, those concerns aside, there are some privacy advantages to using a dumb phone. You'll probably have fewer apps on the phone that are leaking your private information, like Feces Book, for example, so that's better than nothing. If your phone doesn't have Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, this can also improve your privacy by preventing third parties and the operating system from collecting and sharing data collected from those radios. But other than that, there aren't many privacy benefits of a dumb phone unless you're swapping the phone and the SIM card on a somewhat regular basis. And we say that because anyone you call or anyone who can identify you as the owner of the phone is liable to record your IMSI and your IMEI identifiers, which you can't reliably change without getting new hardware. From a security standpoint, dumb phones have a perceived advantage due to having a much lower attack surface than a smartphone. In theory, the operating system should be much simpler, which should present fewer vulnerabilities. However, this is a double-edged sword. For example, the Pegasus spyware suite had a feature that delivered infected files through iMessage and exploited an XPDF vulnerability in iOS iMessage and its components are more complicated than most people realize. This increases its attack surface, which in turn increases the odds of finding such a vulnerability. On the other hand, you have to also kind of wonder how easily a malicious text message could be used to pwn an average dumb phone. 
But yes, we do agree that the smaller attack surface of the dumb phone is a security advantage on paper. It should also be noted that since dumb phones aren't as popular anymore, especially among high-value targets like journalists, CEOs, politicians, and so on, malicious actors probably don't spend much time crafting exploits for these phones. They probably focused most or all of their effort on smartphones. You know, does Pegasus and related spyware work on dumb phones? Probably not, so there is some advantage here. Alright, now let's keep it real and talk about why dumb phones fail for privacy and security. For starters, if the device has power, even if it's off, its location may still be recorded. This can be done with cell tower triangulation, among other techniques, and with enough location history, this alone can identify you as the owner of the phone. This can also apply to a phone that doesn't even have a SIM card in it. Phones without a SIM card will still engage in some contact with the cell phone network to facilitate emergency calls. And of course, when that happens, the network can identify your phone in particular because each cell phone has a unique identifier called the IMEI. Each phone call you make can also increase the chance of losing your anonymity. Whomever is listening to that phone call, be it the person on the other end of the line, the government, or anyone in the phone infrastructure, may be able to identify you using your voice print alone. Voice prints can be recorded and identified automatically in as little as a few seconds. This may sound kind of tinfoil hat, but it's no secret anymore that a lot of businesses record phone calls and collect voice prints when you call them. Some of them are actually upfront about this and say that they use this for security, but obviously that information can be shared with anyone else, so you would never know for sure if the person on the other end of the line can identify you automatically just by your voice. So many businesses are for sure recording your voice print, but what about the government? Would you have privacy from them when you make a phone call? Nobody is listening to your telephone calls. Of course, only they could tell you that for sure, but what we tell our clients is to be conservative and assume that every phone call and SMS message that you make are being recorded by the government. If you're not familiar with our work, we provide one-on-one -on -one consulting services to help clients like you live more private and secure lives. If that sounds interesting to you, go to our website, biggerinsights.com, and fill out the short form at the bottom of the page so we can schedule your initial consultation. But if you really sit down and think about it, there are two things that would make this very feasible. One, phone calls and SMS messages are unencrypted. These are legacy technologies that were designed to be simple and easy to implement, not secure. Two, these communications flow through very few data centers, so it would be quite trivial for a state actor to essentially copy every bit of information that flows through them. But don't just take our word for it. There are many resources you can read online about the government collecting this type of information from the Snowden leaks and other sources. You can actually read about some of this on Wikipedia, so this isn't exactly a secret anymore. But now we're going to play two clips from CNN where they interviewed former FBI agent Tim Clemente 
regarding the gathering of information about a phone call that was made between one of the Boston Marathon bombing suspects and his wife. But before I play them, just bear in mind that they're talking about analyzing a phone call that was made in the past. All right, here's clip one. Tim, is there any way, now I guess it was a voicemail, they could, they could try to get the, the phone companies to give that up at this point, but if it's not a voicemail, it's just a conversation. There's no way they actually can find out what happened, right? Unless she tells them. No, there is a way. They, we certainly have ways in, in national security investigations to find out exactly what was said in that conversation. Um, it's not necessarily something that the FBI is going to want to present in court, but it may help lead the investigation and or lead to questioning of her. So somewhere so we can it's being digitized or they can actually get that. Because people were saying, look, yeah, that wouldn't be well, possible. Yes. It's pretty incredible what you're saying. All right, pretty interesting. Now let's listen to clip two. Okay, let's turn our attention now to the phone call between Catherine Russell and her husband, Tamlin Sarnayev. You said something very interesting on Aaron Burnett's show last night. You said that if Catherine Russell does not divulge the contents of this phone call, that the FBI had other methods finding out what was said. What did you mean by that? Well, on the national security uh, side of the House, we're in, the, in the federal government, you know, we have assets. There's lots of assets at our disposal throughout the intelligence community, and also not just domestically but overseas. Those assets are, allow us to gain information and intelligence on things that we can't use ordinarily in a criminal investigation, but are used for major terrorism investigations or counterintelligence investigations. And you're not talking that about a voicemail, right? What are you talking about exactly? I'm talking about all digital communications are, are um, there, there's a way to, to look at digital communications in the past. Um, and I can't go into detail of how that's done or what's done, but I can tell you that no digital communication is secure. And so these communications will be found out. They will, the conversation will be known. And it's just a question of whether or not Catherine Russell decides to own up to what was said prior to that information being known or after the fact. And if it's, it'll be unfortunate for her if she doesn't own up to it completely and fully because the facts of this case, the facts of her involvement and communication with her husband will be known. So basically what he appears to be admitting to is that our phone calls are being recorded. Nobody is listening to your telephone calls. That could either be in raw form. It could be that they're being transcribed. But it could also be that he's just making this up, although we're not sure why he would do that. Based on what we know of the government and what technologies are available, we're betting our money that they are either being recorded or at least transcribed. That reminds me of that scene on True Lies where Harry is reading the transcript of a phone call between his wife and Simon the car dealer. That's a great movie, so you should watch it if you haven't seen it yet. But one of the most interesting things that Clemente said in these interviews was that this information isn't something that the FBI would use in court. Now, this is very telling because mass surveillance is unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment. You can't use illegally acquired evidence in court, so this gives us further confidence that they really are recording this information. When it comes to digital security, we're of the opinion that if something can be abused, it will be. With our phone calls, SMS messages, and other communications flowing unencrypted through centralized infrastructure, it doesn't take much of an imagination to see this happening. The better question would be, why would our communications not be monitored? 
But government snooping aside, from a privacy standpoint, the lack of access to apps like Signal, Session, Briar, Orbot, ProtonMail, Tutanota, VPNs, VoiceOver IP, and so on, leaves dumb phone users vulnerable to snooping and tracking. If you value your privacy, you need end-to-end encrypted, trustworthy communication channels. And that's not something that you're going to get with a dumb phone. When you use SMS or you make voice calls using the public switch telephone network, the contents of your communications are not end-to-end encrypted. And this leaves your communications vulnerable to snooping by operators in the telephone network as well as various government agencies. Now let's switch gears and talk about security. It is true that a dumb phone's operating system is simpler. It's also true that dumb phones generally contain less sensitive data and capabilities than most smartphones do. However, dumb phone operating systems are likely not developed with as high of a security standard as Android and iOS are. This reminds me of something I call the Chipotle effect. I used to go to Chipotle a lot, but got tired of waiting in line. I started going later and later to miss the lunch rush. But what I noticed was that even though there were far fewer customers, I still had to wait quite a bit because there were far fewer staff members as well. Analogously, dumb phone operating systems are smaller and less common but that also means they probably don't have as much security staff, researchers, and hackers trying to find security vulnerabilities. So yes, we do agree that a dumb phone would have a smaller attack surface than a smartphone, and we don't know this for sure, but we would bet that most dumb phones have very poor security. We should also mention that most dumb phone operating systems are closed source which of course operates on the security through obscurity philosophy. So we find this very concerning from a security standpoint as well. So if you're going to use a dumb phone, at least from a security standpoint, you might want to choose one that's as dumb as possible. The more features it has, like opening PDFs, rendering GIFs, and so on, the more likely it is that there is a serious vulnerability that can be exploited to pwn your phone. Now let's switch gears and talk about smartphones because you may want to use one of those over a dumb phone. A smartphone is only as smart as how you use it. From a security standpoint, Android and iOS are actually quite sophisticated, so they're generally secure as long as you're using them properly. Of course, that's not always the case because we do see high-profile cases where smartphone users get pwned by zero-click exploits. But even in these cases, you can still avoid some of these attacks by locking down the settings on your phone. For example, there was recently a major Android vulnerability that affected my phone. I apologize, but I can't remember what exactly that was. But what I do remember was it did not affect me personally because I have always had Wi-Fi calling disabled, which this particular exploit relied on. Hardening phones is one of the things that we help our clients with, and one of the things that we can help you with if you become a client as well. But in general, you should disable all features that you don't absolutely need. Things like Wi-Fi calling, link previews, 
and pretty much any kind of nice-to-have feature regarding discoverability, sharing, social stuff, and so on, presents serious privacy and security risks. If you can get by without them, you should consider disabling them. Every one of these features that you disable reduces your attack surface. And there's a lot more to using a smartphone privately and securely, but we'll just leave that for another episode, so make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for that. To start wrapping this up, let's spend a few minutes talking about why this all matters. We get the impression that privacy and security are as large of a problem as they are because many people just don't understand how serious the consequences are when they experience a serious event. And from my experience, if people don't understand the why, they're not going to care about the what. Always bear in mind that our mobile phones present unique privacy and security risks because they have access to such sensitive data. They are unique to us, and they follow us religiously. In essence, your mobile phone is a digital manifestation of you. If someone had full access to your phone, think about what they would have access to and how this may impact you. That may include accounts and data which might include bank accounts, email, social media, and so on, contact information and social graphs, real-time and historical location information, camera and microphone feeds, call history and voicemails, text messages, emails, calendar events and reminders, photos and videos, search, browsing, and purchase history, device identifiers and fingerprint, health data, notes, and so on. Not only could someone get access to all the information if they compromise your phone, but they may even be able to use your phone to do things like send out calls, text messages, and emails from your accounts. Now, if that doesn't terrify you, I don't know what would. So take the privacy and security of your phone very seriously. All right, so the last thing we'll say is that a dumb phone can be used to improve your privacy and security, but only if you really know what you're doing and you have a particular use case that a dumb phone can be effective for. However, in most cases, and for most people, using a good quality smartphone that has been hardened and is kept up to date with the latest security patches will generally be more effective at guarding your privacy and security than using a dumb phone. That's it for this episode. We would like to remind you again to consider becoming a Bigger Insights client so we can help you with things like hardening your smartphone. If that's interesting to you, go ahead and reach out to us at biggerinsights.com. We are once again asking you to share and subscribe this podcast so we can help as many people as possible. Thanks for tuning in. Get yourself a secure smartphone and stay safe out there.